This is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. This morning, within the time that I have, I want to speak briefly on what I've titled The Good Confession. The Good Confession. When we talk about the confession, the confession is basically an acknowledgement we make. It is to agree to something. It is to say something. What we say affirms what we believe. And that is what the Christian faith is all about. The Bible says that if we believe with our hearts, and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. So our confession is very important as well. We're going to learn about the importance of a good confession. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, the verse 12 to 14. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. This is Paul's words to his protege, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. And before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession, before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot. Blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Now Paul is reminding his spiritual son Timothy and he urges him to fight the good fight. And you know he tells him about so many things. And he encourages him that as he's fighting the good fight of faith, that he should pay attention to the confession that Jesus made as well before Pontius Pilate. As a matter of fact, even Timothy himself also made a confession. But Paul says, take note of the confession that Timothy made as well before Pontius Pilate. So when we think about a good confession, we are not just thinking about confession of sin. When you talk about the fact that there's a good confession, that means that there's a bad confession as well. But when he talks about the good confession, it's not talking about confession of sin. Now, confession of sin is very important, that, but that's a different concept as well. It's talking about the fact that, you know, when we make our confession, we must say what Jesus said before Pontius Pilate, because, because that's the reference that Paul uses as well. Because a good confession is not just about repeating positive things about yourself. No, it's bigger than that. The good confession is the declaration that Jesus made before Pontius Pilate. And we're going to examine what that declaration was so that when we make the good confession, we know what we actually must say as Christians. Please turn with me to two scriptures, John 18, 33 to 38, and then we'll look at John 19, 8 to 11. John 18, the verse 33 to 38, and then John 19, 8 to 11. Now in John, in the book of John, John is writing and chronicling the, the, the experience of Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. And so Jesus is being judged and it's this process that he's going through as well. And so, and so John is saying that in the process, Jesus appears before Pontius Pilate. 
And he makes a confession. And, and the reason why we are, we are looking at the book of John is because although the four Gospels give this same account, John provides us with a bit more detail that we can work with and will help us to understand what we are thinking about or what we mean when we say the good confession. John 18, the verse 33 to 38. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he, said, when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. It's a very interesting story about how Pilate arrives to the conclusion about who Jesus really is. The interesting thing about the text is that Jesus doesn't really give him the answers that he expects to have. But yet he, he concludes that he has no problem with this guy. This guy is okay as well. But we see a bit more detail as well in John 19. 8 to 11. And it says, Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, Pilate asked about five questions. He says, are you the king of the Jews? What have you done? What is the truth? Where are you from? Don't you know I have power to crucify or release you? He asked this question. Remember that Pilate, Pilate was a supreme authority. Now, in the days of Jesus, what had happened was that the Romans had conquered the Jews because the Romans were expanding their territory. So they had conquered the Jews. And so Caesar is king. And so Caesar installs different governors around his territories that he had conquered, although he's king. So Pilate is engaging Jesus, but Pilate is a representative of Caesar. So this, this is a very powerful guy, a powerful governor who is standing before Jesus and, he, and he's doing all that. And, and you, you can see from the story as it plays out that Pilate is inclined to release Jesus. And, and, and normally you, you notice that if, if you're in, in that situation, you're in trouble and somebody's inclined to release you, you will normally play to their tune, right? You want to seek their favor. You will try to, you know, accommodate their questions and try to bow to their needs and, and to their concerns so that you can be released as well. But Jesus is doing the opposite very interesting he's doing the opposite 
And so, and, and so you know, later in the text, Pilate's wife had come to him and told him, no, you know, sweetheart, you know, I had a dream in the night and, you know, this dream has been disturbing me. This guy that you want to crucify, you have to be very careful about him. He's a different kind of Jew. You have to tread cautiously. So Pilate wants to release him. And, and because of that predisposition, Jesus is still not cooperating as well. So he, he, so he asks him, are you a king? He says, I am a king. Where are you from? My kingdom is not from this world. What have you done? He says, for this reason, I came to bear the truth. These are critical statements that Jesus is making about his, himself, about who he is, about where he has come from, about what he has, and about wh- what he's here to do as well. And these statements that he made are very important. And Jesus tells him that you, Pilate, you have no power over me unless God gives you that permission. The the first statement that Pilate makes or that Jesus makes is what the Apostle Paul describes as the good confession. The good confession. And when we talk about the good confession, it 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 includes four components. It's about who are you? Your answer to that question. Where have you come from? What do you have? And what are you doing here? Who are you? Where have you come from? What do you have? And what are you doing here? Your answer to these questions will determine the kind of confession you are making about yourself. And so we are going to look at these statements and and try to explore a bit more as to how they relate to us as well. So when you read the scriptures that we just read, there are are three key points that I'll I'll bring your attention to. The first thing is that, number one, Jesus established his identity. Jesus established his identity. Jesus confessed before Pontius Pilate. He says, I'm a king. He knew who he was. He says, I am a king, Pilate. He was standing before the most powerful man who had the authority to release him, but yet he declared, I am a king. I am a king. You have no power over me. It's just because God has allowed you to rule over me. That is why you have this power at this point in time. And so for us to make the the good confession, we must establish our identity. So what kinds of confessions do you make if you are establishing your identity? Number one, I am a child of God. That's your confession. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. When you say that you are declaring your origin, you are declaring your identity. You are saying where you come from and you are saying who you belong to. I am a child of God. And we see that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Because of time, you can just write it down. Galatians 4, 6 to 7. It says, and because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You are a child of God. It may sound as a simple statement, but in that statement contains a significant truth, that you are a child of God. You know, for most of us, if you had a chance to have a second parent, you know, you choose, you want to you want to choose someone like who? Like, you know, Bill Gates because of the, hmm, the cash. Or you want to choose someone like Nelson Mandela, has a great name. And, 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 you, know, and, 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 and you know, if you are in a conversation where people, you know, once in a while, occasionally, you, you will slip in the fact that, oh, you know, I, you know I, Bill Gates is my father, you know. By the way, he's my father, you know. 
right now. By the way, you know, Nelson Mandela is, you know, that, that's my dad, yeah. That's daddy. You call him Nelson, but you know, that's daddy, you know. You know, you, you, you do that. Why do you do that? Because, because you are proud of your parentage. You are happy about it, and you want everybody to know about it. But the Bible says, Paul lets us know that you are a child of God. And in your conversation, you must be conscious of the fact that I am a child of God. Thank God for Mandela. Thank God for Obama. Thank God for, for all of them. But beyond all of them, there is a king who has called me his child. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am his child. And I have to be conscious with that. So even in my conversations, like I would do if I had a second parent, in, in that same way, I must let the world know that I am a child of God. It is a good confession. I am a child of God. That is the, that is the identity that sets you apart from every other person. I am a child of God. Not only do we say I am a child of God, number two, we say I am a new creation. I am a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you are faced with the attraction of sin, my friends, you can boldly declare that I am a new creation. Sometimes people forget the fact that you are a new creation. Sometimes it's very easy to forget that, oh, I am actually a new creation. Sometimes we think that we are past. We think that we are the mistakes that we've made. We think that we are, we are where we came from. But you are a new creation. And you must understand that as well. You are a new creation. That all things are passed away. Alcohol is passed away. Pornography is passed away. Anger is passed away. Profanity is passed away. All things are passed away. You must remind yourself of your new nature. I am a new creation. I am a new creation. Now the things that used to tempt me don't tempt me any longer. I am a new creation. You have to remind yourself. So that when you go into the office and they are passing envelopes around the place to pervert justice. You must remind yourself that I am a new creation. So I will not bend the rules. I will not sell my dignity. I will not sell my integrity. I am a new creation. You have to remind yourself. Because in Ghana, 70% say we are Christians. So who collects the bribe? Who collects the bribe? I am a new creation. You have to remind yourself. When you go born again, your nose look the same. Your, your eyes look the same. You still look the same. But something changed in your spirit. And so you have to remind yourself, your mind has to agree with a new reality that you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Not only that, but also number three, I am a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You belong to God's household, not as a servant, but as a child. You belong to God's household. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen. That is where you belong to. And you must be aware of that as well, my friends. 
that your fa- the household of God is the biggest household you can ever find. The entire universe is the household of God. And you belong to that household. That is your heritage. And you must be proud of it. I am a citizen of heaven. You are a member of God's household. household. Not only that, number four, I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, it says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Christ is the head of all principalities and power. If there is anything that believers fear, particularly African believers, it is principalities and powers. <laughs> but the Bible says that Christ is the head of all principalities and powers. That means that all the powers in the universe, he is the greatest power. You have to understand that he is the greatest power. And so you mustn't live your life as if, you know, uh, something's going to happen to me. Hey, this, that you are complete in him. Who is the head of all principalities and powers? Even the witches that you fear, witches are not even considered principalities and powers. They are the lowest of the ranks. They are the lowest of the ranks. But Christ, who you are complete in him, he is the head of it all. Of all principalities and powers. You know, so, so, you know, people say things like, you know, ah, ah, you, know they, they, you see a lizard running through your, your, your house. Blood of Jesus! Hey, where's the anointing oil? Where? What about when you are asleep and the lizard is passing? The lizard is hungry and he's looking for, it's just a creature of God, moving around. The cockroach that is running in your house, it's not your, it's some auntie who turned into a witch. You left food somewhere and the cockroach is, has come into your house to look for the food. That's all. You have to understand that you are completing him. Your Christianity must not be, a, it must not be a, 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 a one of panicking and they're trying to respond. No, 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 no. You are completing him. And the person you are completing is the head of all principalities and powers. So, in fact, they have to bypass Christ to come to, to touch you. They have to go through all that they get to Christ to touch you. So, why do you live your life with this theology and this understanding that, oh, you know, something, I need extra protection? So some of you in your house, you have extra bottles. I have green anointing oil for protection. Blue one for prosperity. Yellow one for elevation. Oh, you are wasting your time. Use that to fry some fish. You are completing him. You, are, you have to understand that. You, it's Christ that you need. Not these extra layers that we are adding and they have no scriptural imperative. You have to understand who you are in Christ. You are completing him. You are completing him. You have to understand it. The Bible says, no weapon designed against you shall prosper. It's as simple as that. There is nothing. Do you think that if the devil, do you think that if, you're, if the devil is supposed to kill you, you'll be alive today? Do you think that? Who do you think is keeping you? Who do you think is sustaining you? You have to ask yourself, who do you think is protecting you? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith is in him. Not a man of God. Not some oil somewhere. Our faith is in Christ alone. He is our foundation. I am complete in Christ. And you have to understand that. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he confessed that. 
I am complete in Christ. If anybody asks you about your identity, you say, I'm a king. I'm complete in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. I'm a citizen of heaven. That must be your confession because that is the good confession. The second thing Jesus teaches us is that he affirmed his inheritance. He affirmed his inheritance. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, he says that my kingdom is from, is, 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 is from above. It's not from this world. And the people were trying to push that agenda of our kingdom. And the reason why they were trying to push that agenda of our kingdom is that you must understand that Caesar is king. And so if somebody else rises to say I'm a king, that person is committing treason. And so the Jews were trying to push that agenda that he's trying to claim that he is king. And they are saying that he's saying he's king because he has all these followers around him. He has all these people walking with him who believe him, who, who are listening to him, who are receiving the word from him. He has all this crowd around him. But when Jesus stands before Pilate, there is no crowd. There is no follower. There is no one standing by him. And being alone, he still understands that I am king. That there is no follower. Nobody is there, but I am still king. He calls himself king, not because of what he has. Not because of those who follow him, but because of who he is. The question I want to ask you, my friends, is that where is the source of your power? Where do you get your confidence from? If they remove your followers and all that you have, will you still know who you are? Is your confession just based on the certificate you have from school? Is your confession based on your money or, 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 or what people say about you? Is that your confession or is your confession based on who you are? You have to ask yourself, what would you say if you had no money? What would you say about yourself? The Bible says that the life of a person does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. What would you still say about yourself? Jesus had no followers. He is alone. He has been beaten. He has been stripped. Crown of thorns on his head. Blood oozing down his body. Naked. Standing before Pilate. Looks vulnerable. Looks weak. Looks like a prey before Pilate. And yet, in the presence of Pilate, he says, I am a king. Since my kingdom is not of this world, I am a king. Because if what you have is based on the clothes you wear, when your clothes go, you have nothing. When your house goes, you have nothing. When your money is finished, you have nothing. But Jesus had no clothes, had no house, had no money. But he says, I have a kingdom. You must affirm what you have. So let me tell you a few things about what you have in Christ. Number one, I have access to God's throne room. You can enter God's holy of holies. The Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18, it says, for through him we have access by one spirit to the Father. In Hebrews 4 verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can come before the creator of the universe and talk to him. You can come before him and talk to him. 
Many of us, if we had the time to speak to, the, to our president, we say, oh, 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 God, if I just only have five minutes to speak to our president or to speak to uh, Elon Musk or to speak to Bill Gates, if I only have five minutes, I will lay down all my problems. But we have the one who created Bill Gates. And you have access to him. Just come boldly. Don't come timidly. Come boldly. Come like you're coming to your father. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Sometimes we have been taught that when we pray, when we come before God, we must come begging. Oh, God, please. Oh, I'm, be- I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Like God is some old man standing some, holding some stick somewhere saying, huh, come, let me see. You, eh? Come. I will lash you. No, 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 no. no. You say, come boldly to the throne of grace. Father, I come as I am. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I stand here, Lord, because you qualified me. Lord, today I receive strength. You are my source. You are my supplier. You are the lifter of my head. As I go through the week, Lord Jesus, you go ahead of me. You make every crooked path straight. You make every rough road smooth. You will level every mountain. You will exalt every valley. That is how you talk to God because you are talking to your father. God is not a stranger. Come boldly. Come boldly. I have access to to God's throne. Number two, in Christ, I have everything I need. We see that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 21 to 23. It says, Therefore let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Or the world or life or death. Or things present or things to come. All are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. So according to the scripture it says, I have everything I need. I have no need. I have everything I need. Because when I have him, I have everything I need. In Christ Jesus, we don't walk with a sense of lack. We walk with a sense of abundance. When we walk in the world, we don't walk as if as people who are looking for something. We walk as, as those who have something to bless the world with. When the Apostle Paul was in prison, Paul writes to the Philippians from prison and he says that I have everything. He says he was in prison, but he says I don't need anything. Now, no natural prisoner will tell you that. Because as a prisoner, naturally, you are constrained. You are confined. You don't have access to basic things. You wish that people would bring you things, you know, because you are confined. But Paul says, I'm a prisoner, but I have access to everything. He says, I know how to abound and I know how to abase. He says, I've learned it. I've learned it. Because in Christ, the world is yours. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I need money. I need money. Ah, how do I get money? You think you need money, but you don't need money. You have everything you need in Christ because in Christ you can get the money. You can get the money. If you have Christ, you know that you have the favor. So when you get up in the morning, you go to work, you get to work, you work hard, you work diligently, you know that God will bless the work of your hands. You are confident about that. Not that you sleep at home and expect blessings. No, you get up, you go to the office, work starts at what, 8 o'clock, you are there by 7.30. We get, get there before time. That is our attitude as Christians. Not, I must say that you just fold your arm and say, ah, I have everything. And you'll be yawning at 9 a.m. Oh. No, 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 no. God doesn't bless laziness, all right? That's not what we're talking about. But I have everything. It's a sense of completeness, my friends. I have everything. Because sometimes people can say certain things to try to, as if they want to try and make you. But no. I need nothing. 
They, want, they may want to make you, but God has already made you. God has already made you. God has already made you. And you must have that mindset. When you have that mindset, nobody will abuse you. Nobody will manipulate you. Nobody will try to control you. When you have that mindset, because you walk through life knowing that you are complete in him. Very important as well. Number three, I have peace that surpasses all understanding. That is the good confession. We see that in John chapter 14, the verse 27. It says, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. My peace I give to you. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding as Paul qualifies in Philippians 4. It makes no sense. It's a peace that when you get into trouble, you've lost your job. Something happens. The world expects you to go crazy. People expect you to lose your mind, to get into depression, to sleep, to, 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 to just go crazy, to isolate. The world expects a certain reaction when things go bad for you. But in Christ, I have peace that surpasses all understanding. That he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Isaiah 26 verse 3. I have peace that surpasses all understanding. There are moments in life where things may not work out, my friends. There are moments in life where things will get difficult. But I have peace that surpasses all understanding. Because that peace will pull me through my difficult moments. Because sometimes life gets difficult, my friends. Not this kind of Father Christmas Christianity that we preach today. That just come and everything will be okay. No, there are difficult moments in life, my friends. There are trials, there are difficulties. But when we go through those difficulties, we know we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. It says he will, he will keep your heart. He will guard your heart. That word keep or that word guard in the Greek word is the word used for a soldier. Like a security who is watching over the prisoner to ensure the prisoner does not, does not escape. I have peace. He will keep my peace. God keeps us. He keeps us like a soldier so that we don't lose our mind. Because if we don't have him, we don't have anything. Because sometimes there are challenges in life, there are questions that we don't have answers to. But we have a peace that will surpass all understanding. When people expect you to lose your mind, you will not lose your mind. Your sanity will be intact because we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. The world will say their own thing. Let them say what they want to say. But we have a peace. The Bible says, while we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our focus and our elevation in life must be beyond the challenges that we go through today. We must not be beyond those challenges that all things will work together for our good. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That is the good confession. And the final thing that Jesus does is that not only did he affirm his inheritance. The final thing he does is that he announced his purpose. He announced his purpose. You have to know why you are here, my friends. Jesus says, I came to bear witness to the truth. You have to know why you are here. You must know your assignment. Every one of us is created for a purpose. We are not accidents of nature. We have to understand God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 that before I formed you, I knew you. 
and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I knew you before I formed you. Your parents may not have known you, but God knew you. He knew you. Maybe, maybe, somebody, maybe your, your mother gave birth to you out of wedlock, but God knew you. He knew you. He planned for you. He prepared for you. You have to know your assignment, my friends. Don't live life haphazardly. Don't live life to chance. You have to know that I am here for a purpose. It helps you to manage your life, to live your life well, to manage your time, to be intentional about your relationships, to be strategic about your decisions. It helps you. You have to know that you are here for a purpose. That the world needs you. God needs you. He placed you here for a reason. He needs you. There is something you are here to accomplish and you must find out. You must find out. Adam was created because God needed a man to take care of his creation. Noah was born to preserve a righteous generation from the flood. Abraham was born to reveal the one true God. David was born to raise a tabernacle of praise. Esther was born to deliver the Jews from destruction. Jeremiah was born to bring God's word to a backslidden people. John the Baptist was born to prepare a way for the Lord. Paul was born to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And you were also born for a purpose. You are not here to mark time. You are here for a purpose. And so when you know that you are here for a purpose, there are things that you must know. Number one, you must know that I, I reign in Christ. I reign in Christ. Romans 5 verse 17. It says, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one man, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. If you have Christ in you, you reign in life. You are here to rule. You are not here to stumble, but you are here to reign in life, my friends. You are here to be in charge. And that's the good reason to be alive. That I reign in Christ. Because you have been born to reign. But not only do I reign in Christ. Number two, I am chosen to be fruitful. John 15 verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You are here to bear fruit. God has called you. That in everything that you do, you bear fruit. You reign in life. So when you start a business, you know that God will help you to bring it to the expected end. You know that it will grow. You know that it may start small, but because he has called you to bear fruit, it will grow. You must understand that you are here to bear fruit. And if you are a child of God, you're number, that's your number one assignment. Not only that as well, I showcase God's unparalleled wisdom to the world. I showcase God's unparalleled wisdom to the world. You must know that about yourself. Ephesians 3, verse 10 to 11. It says, To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. When people see your life, they must see the wisdom of God at work in your life. They must see God's power at, on demonstration. I'm an advert of God's power. I'm an advert of God's glory. They must see it. How you carry yourself, how you speak, how you treat yourself, how you treat other people. They must see the wisdom of God at work in your life as well. You are a signpost of God's wisdom. 
Look at how God could tell Job. Tell Satan, look at my son, Job. God could brag with Job. He could brag with him. May God brag with your life as well. You are a signpost of God's glory. God's goodness. God's goodness. That everything you do is a signboard in heaven. Heaven must see your work and give praise to the Father who created you as well. Although you are here on earth and you look at your life and you say, but nobody knows me, Pastor. Nobody knows me. Nobody, I'm nothing. No. But when we pray and we lift up our hands to him in worship, God reveals who we are to us. He helps us understand that we are here for a reason. And if you understand that, you may start life small. You may start life from the background. You may start not having much. But if you understand that within you contains a seed of greatness, that through the process of time, God will lead you and pull out everything he has deposited in you and bring it out for his glory. You must know it, my friends. And the final thing you must know is that I not only display the wisdom of God, but I manifest God's glory. That you are predestined for glory. We see that in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 to 30. Where he says we have been called to glory. You have been called. You have not been called for shame, my friends. You have not been called for disappointment. You are born for glory. That is why the situation that you are going through will not bring you shame. You are not going to go under. In the end, God is going to get the glory. God is going to reveal his glory in your life. You are called for glory. You are ordained for glory. You are a signpost of God's wisdom. So when people say, look at you, you are wasting time. You, are not, you will not amount to anything. No, no, you must let them know I'm here to reign in life. I've been ordained to be fruitful. I've been appointed for glory. I'm a signpost of God's wisdom. Today, I may not even have a house, but wait for my story. Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.